The following audio is for Emmanuel Baptist Church. More information about Emmanuel is available at our website, www.myemmanuel.net. not only came and went to the cross to die for us, but King Jesus also preached sermons. He, he taught the people while he was here, and probably his most famous sermon is the Sermon on the Mount. We've been studying that together, and this morning we come to the conclusion of it. So I want to ask you to join me in Matthew chapter 7. If you brought a Bible, you can use that. If you don't, they're right there in the rack in front of you. Uh, Matthew is the first book of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew chapter 7 is really the end of this sermon. Let me just uh, remind you, maybe you haven't been here for all of the sermons, let me remind you what this sermon consists of, what it is that Jesus taught. The first thing he taught was how to be happy. And everybody on the planet wants to be happy. We have something in our soul The way that God created us, we have a desire to be happy. If you ask people what their greatest desire is, they'll say to be happy. So he lets us know that true happiness comes from being connected to God the Father. And we are restored in relationship with God the Father through his son Jesus who died on the cross for us. And so that connection then comes to being right with the Father. And when we have the Father's blessing... We have the happiness that we were made to have. And so this first part of the Sermon on the Mount are called the Beatitudes. Blessings come this way and that way. Then Jesus talked about the fact that he didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. And that all of the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament, was given by God. It all has a purpose. And Jesus fulfills that purpose in our life. That's why he went to the cross. He went to the cross to die for our sins. That was his purpose in life. He said he came to seek and to save that which was lost. And certainly we are those that are lost without Christ Jesus. Then he talks about the fact that sin is a heart problem. The the problem with sin isn't that you made a mistake here or there in life. It's that your heart is by its nature sinful. The Old Testament prophet said the heart is deceitfully wicked, so much so who can understand it? It's beyond imagination. And, and so then, as he talks about the fact that sin is a heart problem, when we get saved, we give our life to Christ. When he gives us his righteousness by his shed blood, we begin to recognize that righteousness is also a heart thing. And, and so what you really need is a heart transplant. You need a new heart. And God's the one who does that. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. He gets a new heart. And God changes our nature. Once your nature has changed, you have the ability to now to live like a child of the king. And so uh, just a couple weeks ago, I talked about spiritual bolt cutters. That is the things that break our chains, open our prison doors, and set us free from living like the world. The world worries about everything. The The world worries about everything. So now that we belong to the king, we don't have to worry anymore. Spiritual bolt cutter set us free. And Jesus comes to the, the pinnacle of the sermon in chapter 6, verse 33, and he says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these other things will be added unto you. All the things that we worry about, all the things that we wish we had, all the things that we wish were different in our life, 
Seek first the kingdom of God. Everything else will be added to you. Well, when you come to chapter 7, Jesus reminds us that this sermon isn't for your neighbor, it's for you. And he tells you to get the log out of your own eye and don't worry about the speck in your neighbor's eye. And then he comes to the last half of chapter 7. That's where we are this morning. And he extends an invitation to come and choose Jesus. As a matter of fact, it's stronger than that. He literally says, you're going to need to make a choice. In fact, he kind of makes it clear that that if you choose not to choose, that's a choice. And he's going to talk about that. So let's, let's look at this together. Matthew chapter 7, verse 13. Jesus is now going to talk about uh, two gates, two trees, two, two builders and their houses. And he wants you to choose between them. Matthew 7, verse 13. Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide And the way is easy that leads to destruction. It goes on and says, And those who enter by that wide gate are many. Lots and lots of people choose the wide gate. Jesus says, For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And then he says, And not very many people find it. Those that find it are few. Illustration number one, the two gates. Verse 15. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You'll recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes? No. Are figs gathered from thistles? No. So every healthy tree bears good fruit. But a diseased tree, it bears bad fruit. A diseased tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire so you can recognize people by their fruits. So we have two illustrations, the gates, the trees. Then Jesus stops, and here he's going to remind us that when it comes to this decision to choose Jesus, you can't fake it. He says in verse 21, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. In verse 22 it says, on that day. Do you see that phrase, on that day? It's a Bible phrase that means judgment day. It means the end of the world. The history of the world isn't something that uh, recycles itself and it's just in a circular thing. The history of the world is on a linear line and it's going somewhere. And it's going to judgment day. He says, on that day... Many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not go to church every week? Did we not attend life groups? Did we not cast out demons in your name? Did we not do many mighty works? Did we not give to the world mission offering? Okay, I was a little loose with that verse, wasn't I? But the point is, he said, then I will declare to them, I never knew you. The point is, you can't fake this decision. He knows your heart. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. And then he comes to the third illustration, the two houses. He says in verse 24, Everyone then who hears these words of mine, and he does them, is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and they beat on the house. But the house didn't fall because... 
It was founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine but doesn't do them, we would say, in one ear and out the other. We would say, these are people who heard it but didn't choose Jesus. They didn't make a choice for him. They're like a foolish man who built his house on the sand, and the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell. And Jesus adds this, and great was the fall of it. It was profound. It was significant. It was disastrous. Great was the fall of it. And then a couple times as I've preached this sermon, I've alluded to how this chapter ends. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one who had authority, not like other teachers, not like their scribes. So Jesus spends truly a sixth of this sermon telling us that we have to make a choice. Two gates we choose from, two trees we choose from, two kinds of houses that we choose from. And when we think of the world that we live in and we think of the number of choices that we make, we'd have to take some time to step back and go, you and I, modern America, modern technological America is different than the world that our parents and our grandparents grew up in. You see, you and me, our brains are busier than ever before. I didn't didn't say our brains are better than people before us. I said our brains are busier than ever before. We're assaulted with facts and pseudo-facts and jibber-jabber and rumor. It's It's all pretending to be information. There's fake news and fake science and fake religion, and they all present themselves as truth. Just, just trying to figure out what you need to know and what you can ignore is exhausting. And at the same time, we're doing more than our parents and grandparents did 30 years ago. 30 years ago, uh, people, when they were going to travel, whether it was airline or for 30 years ago, for many people, it was train or bus, they called travel agents. And when you went to a shop, salespeople were there to help us find what we were looking for. No such thing as a big box store. And professional typists and secretaries helped busy people do their correspondence. But now you and I do all those things ourselves. We have travelocity. We, we go to the big box store. We, we go online and we analyze which appliance we want to buy. We're the ones who, through our own email, take care of our own correspondence. We're trying to keep up with our own lives and the lives of our children and our parents and our friends and our careers and our hobbies. And that doesn't even count the weekend when we binge watch our favorite TV show. Think about this just for a second. Your smartphone has become a a technological Swiss army knife. Now, if you have a flip phone this morning. Just look at your friend's smartphone and they'll tell you about it. But think about your smartphone. It, it's, a, it's a dictionary, a calculator, a web browser. It's got your email, PlayStation, TV, appointment calendar, voice recorder, guitar tuner, weather forecaster, GPS, texter, tweeter, Facebook updater, and flashlight. That's all in your smartphone. Your smartphone that you have in your pocket or your purse is more powerful than the most 
powerful computer at IBM headquarters 30 years ago. But with all of that comes something else. We can't put it down. We keep it in our hand. We have it all the time. Cramming everything into every single moment of downtime. We text when we walk across the street. And some of you don't raise your hands when you drive. We, uh, we check our email when we're standing in line at Starbucks. When we're having lunch with our friends, we sneak a peek at our cell phone to see what the friends who we're not with are doing. And when we get bad weather like we did Friday, and it's kind of snowy and icy, we stay at home and we write our shopping lists on our smartphones and we listen to wonderfully informative podcasts like how to prepare a 25-pound frozen turkey in the microwave. Which, by the way, you can't do. Don't try it. I was just being funny. So to make matters worse, all of this multitasking, and that's what it is. It's multitasking. It requires millions of little decisions. You're actually decision-making. Do I answer this text or do I ignore it? If I do answer it, how do I respond to it? Do I use words or just an emoji? How do I file this email? Do Do I file it and can I find it later? And how do I keep pictures? And where are they actually at on the cloud? Do I keep working? Do I take a break? The only break we make sometimes we gotta we gotta get the battery charged back up again. It turns out that neuroscientists tell us that constant decision making is very hard on the neural resources, and that little decisions appear to take just as much energy as big ones. And so since you can't make decisions about everything all the time, one of the first things that goes in decision-making is impulse control. This rapidly spirals into a depleted state in which after making millions of small, insignificant decisions, we can impulsively end up making truly bad decisions about something that's really important. And that brings me to the topic of Jesus' sermon this morning. So when it comes to something of supreme importance, like how does God see you, and where will you spend your eternal destiny, we don't decide. We're locked up like a computer that needs to be rebooted. We, we get paralyzed we tell ourselves, well, I mean, these are, these are your eternal divine things, so no one can really know. And since we convince ourselves that no one can really know how you get to heaven, that lets us off the hook. We don't have to decide. Maybe we tell ourselves that all religions are really the same and everybody's going the same direction. And so since we're all going the same direction, I don't have to decide. We tell ourselves... I'm not so bad. I'm really a good person. I think I'm better than most people. So, yeah, I think I'm going to make it to heaven. And so since I think I'm going to make it in my present state, I don't choose to do something different than I'm doing. And then we come smack dab. We run right into Jesus' sermon about the kingdom. And even though we know we don't measure up, We still think we're better than most. 
So Jesus comes to the end of his sermon, and guess what he spends the last sixth of the sermon, the last half of chapter 7, telling us? You've got to choose. There are two gates. You've got to choose. And by the way, by not choosing the narrow, it automatically puts you on the other. What do we, what do we know about these two gates? What do we know about this decision that he's talked about? Well, first of all, he says the one gate is wide. And it doesn't, he doesn't mean it's wide like wide enough for fat people like me. He, he means there's no restraints. There's no constraints. You can, you can be whoever you want to be. It doesn't matter if you reject God's design for yourself. It doesn't matter if you reject God's uh, commandments. It doesn't matter if you reject God himself. It's a wide gate. There's room for everybody. There's tolerance here. We're all going this way. In fact, it says many people choose the wide gate. And he also says it's easy. It's easy because it's politically correct. It's easy because other people will pat you on the back. They'll go, they're going along that way with you. Isn't it great we're all going this way? And so everybody chooses the wide, easy, big gate where everybody's going. Jesus concludes his description of the wide gate by saying it leads to destruction. It's an interesting word. The, the word really means comprehensive destruction. It doesn't just mean you lose your marriage. It doesn't just mean you lose your kids. It doesn't just mean you lose your health. You lose your job. You lose your finances. It means everything is lost. And it doesn't just mean earthly destruction. It includes eternal destruction. Jesus is really, he's really talking about hell. Hell is a place of complete, utter, eternal destruction. And that's the word that old preachers used to use, utter destruction, comprehensive destruction. We know a lot about hell because Jesus talked about hell a lot. If you take all his other sermons, you will discover that Jesus talked more about hell than he talked about heaven. He said it's a place where the fire isn't quenched. He said it's a place where the worm and the maggot don't die. He said it's a place where you're separated from God. He said it's a place of uh, outer darkness. He says it's a place of torment. I just gave you five things that, off the top of my head. He said way more. Why do we know all these things about hell? Because Jesus was telling us, if you don't choose Jesus, if you don't make a choice, that's where you go. It's a white gate. He also tells us one more thing about the white gate. He said most people go that way. You ever, you ever wonder where it comes from? Why, do, why is it that we think that most people go to hell and very few go to heaven? Do you know why we think that? Because Jesus is the one who said it. So the idea that, well, all the religions are all going to God and we're all going the same direction and we're all going to make it is not what Jesus preached. Jesus talked about a narrow gate. He says, he says about the narrow gate that it's narrow, meaning it's got constraints to it. Jesus would later say, I am the way, like gate. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. That's how narrow it is. Jesus is the only way to the Father. In John 10.10, he literally said, I am the gate. And he said, my sheep 
come in and out, literally he was thinking about through me, and find pasture. And then he said, and I know my sheep and they know me. It's interesting, isn't it? How narrow is the gate? One way of salvation. One way to God the Father. Jesus says it's narrow. Then he says it's hard. Now, we have to think about what he means by this. It's not hard to receive Jesus. Receiving Jesus is this simple. You pray, you acknowledge your sin, you ask Jesus to forgive you of your sin, and you give him your life. That's not hard. God purposely puts that down on the bottom shelf, and he says, unless you become like children, you won't come into heaven. He makes it easy so even children can do it. So what's hard? What's hard is that you're going against the current of the mass of people that are going the other direction. That's what makes it hard. I had some friends who went to Walt Disney World. They stayed to the very last minute. They wanted to enjoy the whole day. At the end, there's fireworks. They put all the stuff on the castle. It was great. The only thing is that everybody leaves at the last second. They started to leave with them, and then they realized they had forgotten something where they sat. And they turned around, and they said, oh, everybody was coming this way, and it was so hard. That's what Jesus is talking about. Everybody will make fun of you. Why are you going that way? Everybody's going this way. But he says the narrow way that's hard leads to everlasting life. Then Jesus talks about two trees. He says there's a good tree and there's a bad tree. There's a healthy tree and there's a diseased tree. This is a, by the way, everybody who heard this on that day when Jesus preached it, they were familiar with these things. For instance, in Psalm 1, it says we're to be like the tree that's got its roots in the water that flourishes all season long and its leaves never wither. It, it, was, a, it was a part of the Hebrew mentality that there is a good tree of everlasting life, like the, like the, the tree of life. It was a tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They had this idea of good tree and bad tree. And so he says it's like two trees, and a good tree bears good fruit. A good tree doesn't have to sit there and go, oh, I'm going to try to pop out good fruit out of my limbs and branches. There's not like a power of positive good tree thinking. A good tree just naturally bears good fruit. And a diseased tree or a bad tree can't bear good fruit. Remember the story where Jesus is going in Jerusalem, he's hungry, so he walks over to a fig tree, but there's no figs on it. And then Jesus says to the tree, no one will ever eat a fig, a fig off of you again. The next day they're walking into Jerusalem, and the disciples see the fig tree, and it's died. It's withered and died. And then the disciples said, uh, Jesus, do you see the tree you cursed? Look at it. And I always think in my mind, Jesus must have thought to the disciples, haven't you guys figured this out by now, who I am? But why did he curse the fig tree? Because the fig tree wasn't fulfilling the purpose for which God created it. You know what the purpose of a fig tree is? Figs. That's the purpose of a fig tree. If it doesn't have figs, it doesn't, doesn't fulfill its purpose. Uh, my wife Patrice is from Texas. Texas is known for its pecan trees. Her, uh, her grandma and grandpa had big pecan trees in their yard. If you have big pecan trees in your yard, you have shade, but that's not the purpose of a pecan tree. Uh, you have a home for birds and squirrels, but that's not the purpose of a pecan tree. You could cut it down and make firewood. That's not the purpose of a pecan tree. Do you know what the purpose of a pecan tree is? Pecan pie. Yeah, that's its purpose. 
So God created you with a purpose. And when you are the good tree, when you choose that, your fruit fulfills the purpose for which you're made. So the first choice is, are you going to choose the wide gate or the narrow gate? The second choice is, are you going to be the good tree or the diseased tree? And the third choice is about the two houses. There are two builders, really. And they each build a house. And we look at these houses and we find something about them. It says that the wise builder built his house on the rock. Now, in our Bibles, as Jesus preached it, it's lowercase r. But you and I kind of know he's really talking about himself. The foundation for our souls, the foundation for our lives, certainly the foundation for our eternity is the rock, capital R. And Jesus is that rock. He's the foundation of our lives. And so this wise builder, he built his house on the rock. And because that was his foundation, then it's really interesting what happens next. Because he receives Christ, because he makes the choice to choose Jesus, the rains never come, the winds never blow, there's never any floods. Is that what happens in his life? No. There are people who preach that false theology. They say, if you accept Jesus, you'll never have anything bad happen to you. That's not how life goes. The Bible says it rains on the just and the unjust alike. No, he received Christ. He put his life on the foundation of the rock, Jesus Christ. But the rains came. The floods came. The winds blew. What was different about his life? The scripture says, but the house did not fall because it was founded on the rock. This stands in sharp contrast to the next house. Jesus says there was another builder. There's another guy. And he built his house not on the rock, but on the sand. We use this phrase, the the shifting sands of time. Whatever was popular at the time, whatever was cool at the time, whatever was politically correct, that's what he built his life on. He built his life on the stuff that other people were building their life on. And then guess what? Well, the rains came, and the floods came, and the winds came, and they beat against the house. And the scripture says, and it fell. And great was the fall of it. The, the phrase great the fall was, tells us that it was destroyed in a profound way. Everybody here has a friend whose life is just about to be destroyed. They're complaining about the, the wind and the rain and the flood, but that's not their problem. The winds and the rains and the floods come in every life. They haven't built their life on the rock. Here's what Jesus is doing. I want you to see it clearly. There's two gates to choose from. There's two trees. There's two houses. But there's only one choice. And you have to make that choice And the choice can't be faked. Remember, this is the part we read. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, didn't didn't we go to church every week and do great things in your name? You can't fake it. God knows your heart. It's a matter of the heart. And so this is a choice that only you can make for you. You can't delegate this choice. You're not a Christian 
you're not saved. You don't have salvation because your parents have it. You don't have salvation because your kids have it. You don't have salvation because your spouse has it. Only you can give your life to Christ. No one can do that for you. So you, you can't delegate it. You can't fake it. And to postpone it is to make a choice. You see, this morning, if you say, no, I'm not, I'm not ready to choose Jesus yet, what you're saying today is no. And the Bible says that we're not guaranteed tomorrow. Whenever the prophets preached, they would always end by saying this, today is the day of salvation. Now is the accepted time. You should do it today. No one's guaranteed tomorrow. There are people in Billings who went into eternity through death this week, and they were in perfectly good health until they died. You're not guaranteed tomorrow. So Jesus says to you, make this choice. This isn't one of a million choices that you make with your cell phone. Am I going to text back? Am I going to keep this email? This is different. This has eternal value. This is one presented to you by God. And what did he do for you so that you would make the right choice? He came to earth. He went to the cross. He died on it for you. He shed his blood and paid the ransom for sin debt. He appeased a holy and a righteous heavenly father so that you could say, I choose Jesus. I want the forgiveness of sins. And when you do that, he says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. I want to ask for every head to be bowed and every eye to be closed. Is it possible that you're here this morning and you've kind of been thinking, well, I'll probably make it to heaven because I go to church. Is it possible that you're here this morning and you've been thinking, well, I'll go to heaven. I'm a, I'm a pretty good person. Is it possible that you're coming to church every week and you haven't really made the choice yet and you think, I've got plenty of time. But this morning, the Son of God himself, this is a sermon that Jesus preached, the Sermon on the Mount, the Son of God himself says to you, it's time to choose. Which gate will you choose? Which tree? Which house will you be? It's time to choose. He lays before you the choice. Will you say yes to him? Maybe this morning you're ready to do that. This morning you're ready to say yes to Jesus. Well, what does that look like? Well, as we've already talked about it, it involves repentance. And if we repent of our sins and we place our faith and trust in him, he will answer our prayer. You could pray a prayer right there where you sit in the stillness of your own heart, and God would answer it today, because he does say today's the day of salvation. You could uh, use some words. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of help you with words, but my words aren't magic. You're not saved because you use my words. It's got to come out of the sincerity of your own heart. But the words could go something like this. Dear Lord, I know that I'm a sinner. And I know that my sin has separated me from you. And that's why you sent Jesus to die on the cross to pay for my sins. And so today I, I repent of my sins. Today I turn my back on them and I choose you. My choice today is Jesus. And I'm asking you to come into my life. And the best that I know how, from this day forward, I'll live for you. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. No one's going to embarrass you. No one's going to come to you. I'd never do that in all the world. But how many of you would just signify by raising your hand, 
hey, Paul, when you prayed that prayer, I prayed that prayer, and I chose Jesus. And you just lift your hand up. You put it right back down. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. Thank you. Anyone else? Thank you. God bless you. Thank you. Thank you. Anybody else? Just raise your hand and say, I prayed that prayer. Yes. Yes. Many of you in this room have already prayed that prayer. And you've given your life to the Lord, but you're praying for your one. As we talk about each one reaching one, and maybe you're even going to see your one at Thanksgiving this week. I don't know. But you know that you need the courage to share this choice with them. And how many of you would raise your hand and say, Paul, pray for me as I, as I share with my one. And you just lift your hand up and say, Paul, pray for me. I, I'm going to share. Yes, thank you all over the room. Father, you've seen our hands. You know our hearts. You know everything about us. I thank you for these today who asked you to forgive them of their sins and come into their lives. Today they chose you. And I pray that you would fulfill you the promise of your word, that you would rush into their lives, forgive them of their sin, place your Holy Spirit in them. And Father, assure them of your word that says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And even when Satan comes to tempt them and to cast doubt, Father, I pray they'd be certain of the decision that they've made in your salvation. Father, for these who are praying for their one, who maybe are going to see them this week because of Thanksgiving, I pray that you'd give them an opening to tell their friend that there's a Jesus who loves them, who's loved them with an everlasting love, that life doesn't have to go the way of destruction. It can go the way of eternal life. Father, give them the strength. And when, Father, they speak, empower that with your Holy Spirit. Father, these are our prayers. And we believe that you will answer them because your word says that if we ask in Jesus' name, that you will honor that, that you will answer it. And so we do. We ask in the most powerful, wonderful, majestic name of all, even the name of Jesus, and all of God's people said, Amen. When you get to the end of the book of Joshua, 24th chapter, Joshua is the last living human being who was a slave in Egypt of all the Israelites. Well, Moses has died. Aaron has died. Even uh, Joshua's buddy Caleb is gone. Joshua's the last guy who remembers what it's like to be a slave in Egypt. He's the last one to have experienced the ten plagues of Egypt firsthand and see it. He's the last one who knows what it's like to walk through the Red Sea on dry ground. He's come to his very old age, and he's concerned about his nation. He's concerned about Israel because they're not choosing the Lord. And this is what he says to them. Now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and faithfulness. Put away the gods that your father served beyond the river and back in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it seems evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, then choose you this day whom you will serve whether the gods of your fathers, the ones they served beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I, I want you to know that Jesus' sermon that we've got to choose isn't a new sermon. When he preaches it, Joshua says it here. 
Elijah says it on Mount Carmel when he says, choose between the prophets of Baal and God. God has always been saying, you must choose. If you're here this morning and you're not quite ready, I want to say to you, don't wait long. Don't delay. The God of everlasting love, who's always loved you, who sent his son to die for you, says to you, choose this day whom you will serve. And I joined the voice of Joshua. As for me and my house, I choose Jesus. Have a great day. God bless you. Thank you for listening to audio from Emmanuel Baptist Church, located in Billings, Montana. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Emmanuel, please visit us online at www.myemmanuel.net.